Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. We worship together at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings, both in person and online at youtube.com slash area10church. Kid-friendly programming is also available at the same time just down the street at 2810 at Community Gathering Place. We hope to see you at the Bird Theater soon. Now, on to this week's message. If you could talk to a lion that's in a cage at the zoo and ask them, hey, what's that like in there? What do you think they might say? It's different, right, if a lion's in captivity in a zoo than out in the wild. I imagine if you could talk to a lion in the wild, if you could get close enough and they could talk, you know, let's just go with me on this. If you could talk to a lion out in the wild, they might like their life. It's pretty cool. I mean, I, I got to think that being a lion's kind of awesome out there on the savanna or whatever because there's like lots of food running around and you can chase it down because you're faster and stronger and I, that's got to feel pretty great. When you go into an area, all the other animals look at you like you are the apex predator. They're just like, oh, they're the lions, you know. And then when you see other lions, you're like, dap me up, homie. Like, like we're just, we're the lions here. Like, that's got to feel great. And you eat and you catch your food. You eat for a while and then you, like, sleep under the shade of a tree. Nobody can really bother you. Like, it's got to be great to be in the wild as a lion. But a lion in a cage in a zoo, even in, when they try to make their habitat natural, it's not great, right? It's actually rather depressing. They, they, they find the animals in the zoo. They start like wandering the same path and they just kind of like pace and they start exhibiting behaviors that they wouldn't exhibit out in the wild because they're, they're trapped in this, in this little habitat. What, what, would it, what would they say to you if you asked a lion in a cage, what's it like in there? We don't have to guess because in the mid-90s, uh, Nick Park, who was the guy who created Wallace and Gromit with his claymation studio in Bristol, England, um, they released a, a short video. You can go back and find the whole thing on YouTube. I encourage you to look it up. It's fun. It's called Creature Comforts. And uh, it's a bunch of animals that are in the zoo talking about what life is like in the zoo. So I pulled just a piece of this video, and this is... Um, I I was hoping it would be a lion, but I think technically this is a jaguar, uh, talking about what his life is like living inside the cages, living inside a, a zoo. So watch this. They try to make you comfortable. They try to put you in, 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 in a quite uh, nice situation with uh, standard food that look, like, look, look more like a, a dog food than food proper for wild animals, all right? If you try to compare the situations and the environment that you live here with the environment that you live in Brazil, there is a big difference. Here, you live in a very small place with all the technological advances possible. You have uh, everything sorted out, double glazing, you know, your, your heating and everything in Brazil, but you don't have space. In Brazil, you have space. Although you don't have all this technological, you know, double glaze and things like that, and uh, you know, uh, but you have space. And uh, we need space to live. We need space to feel that we are part of the world, and not a kind of uh, piece of object in a box. I miss a lot of the food. I miss the fresh meat, you know, because in Brazil we are predominantly carnivores. We are not, you know, vegetarian, and uh, we don't like potatoes, we like meat and we like a fresh meat. Where I would like to live and to spend most of my life in a hot country. You know, in a hot country that I have a good weather and that I have space, that I have trees, you know? That I don't have only grass, 
with pollens that give me hay fever every day. I need a space with blue skies without that I can see the sun every day, all right? That I have nice weather, that I can just have nice water, you know, to dive, to swimming. It means a tropical country, not in an island, a cold one. It's easy. Any part of the world, but hot. Name it, and I go. So I think if you ask the lion in a cage, what's life like in there, you might get an answer like that. The answer you won't get is, what cage? Because they know, right? They know that they're trapped. And it's kind of depressing. And in fact, what I, what I learned in, in looking this up is that uh, the, the people that work at the zoo actually have to give antidepressants to the animals because it is so depressing to be made for the savanna, to be made for these open spaces, and to be stuck in a little cage. And there's actually a, a term for it of, of the craziness or the, that, that caged-in feeling. It's called zoacosis, is, is what they start to develop when they are stuck in a cage. And when I heard about that, I actually didn't feel bad for the lions. I felt bad for us. I felt bad for us because... I think we're in those cages too. We just don't recognize it. In fact, everything you just heard from that jaguar was not a script they wrote for the, the, the little video. It was actually an interview with a Brazilian college student on the streets of Bristol, England, when he's just describing what life in England is like versus life in Brazil. And so, and you go back and listen to the video, it's, it's actually, it looks like, if you were to watch the whole video, it looks like animals in cages, but it's people interviewed in nursing homes or people out on the street, different people that they interviewed. Uh, and, and I just thought, when I, when I learned that, I thought, this, this is us. We have zoacosis. We are um, made for something more. Um, we were built for something else. This should be obvious to us. We have, our, our bodies are incredible and, and, and we can do so much with them and we are strong in, in various ways and flexible and, and, and we can run and we can, there's so many things that we can enjoy and so many ways of being in life and, in, and mostly what we do to people is we put them at a desk with a laptop for eight hours a day and tell them that that is good and that is the way to be. And I just wonder if that's not the way to be. I wonder if we were actually designed for something more. C.S. Lewis said it this way a, generation, two gener a couple generations ago. He said, in a sort of ghastly simplicity, we remove the organ and demand the function. We make men without chests and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. Now, I'm not going to go all Andrew Tate on you and say this is all a man thing and we just need what are men doing. This is for men and women. This is, this is for all of us. Uh, what are we doing out there? What are we allowing? What cages are we allowing ourselves to be put in? And how's that going for us? I think the zoacosis is actually sneaking up on all of us because I think um, God designed us for something more. The challenge for us is to even recognize it. If I asked most Americans, I think if I said, hey, what are the kind of cages that you're trapped in, 
I don't think most of us would recognize them. We wouldn't see it because we have been told since we were children that we are the free people who live in the freest country that's the freest ever of all the freedoms of free. And so we're like, wow, I guess I'm, you know, other countries, they're trapped, but I get to live in the land of the free, so lucky me, you know. And so we believe that we are free, and in doing so, we just don't even notice the cages that are around us. So I want to take today and, and really for the next five weeks, and I want to talk about the, the cages that are around us that maybe are unseen, the, the boundaries that our culture sets on us, the things that are forced down upon us from the, the greater culture we live in. And then I want to talk about the gospel and how Jesus sets us free, how following him can set us free, and how um, the gospel pushes back against those cages that culture has given us. And it actually gives a true alternative. So to do that, first we have to recognize if we're going to be free of these cages, first we have to recognize them at all. And so I want to take some time and just lay out a few of the cages that are in culture. But before we get to that, um, I want to talk about why this matters. Um, for, for followers of Jesus, uh, we, are, we are trying to do something in this world. We are trying to be disciples who make disciples. We have purpose. We have meaning. Um, and what we find is that um, our culture, American culture in the 21st century, and this has been true of every culture and every time in history, there are ways that it works against what we're trying to do, trying to follow Jesus closely. The culture doesn't necessarily support or encourage that kind of behavior. The appeal for that comes from uh, partly in Romans chapter 12. The apostle Paul wrote a letter to the church at Rome, and listen to what he tells them. I love these verses. He says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So you and I, if you're a follower of Jesus today, you have this as a mission in part. This is in part what we're doing. We are supposed to follow God, live our, give our lives as a living sacrifice to him, honor him, worship him, be connected with our creator. This is our spiritual act of worship, Paul says. So we have purpose in that. We have meaning in that. We don't have to be like, what on earth am I here for? In part, we are here for exactly that, to reconnect with our creator, understand what his purpose for our lives is, understand his will, and follow after him. That's what we're doing. So for Christians, if you are being caged in by culture to do something else, you should pay attention to that. Like, we need to know what are the cages, where are we, where are we stuck, and how do we break free of that, because God has something else for us. But there are people in this room that would, you would say, I'm not a Christian, I don't want to be a Christian, not sure I like Christians, I don't even know why I'm in this room, they offered me free lunch, I'm here, or whatever. Like, so, so if you're here and you're like, I don't know about the Christianity thing, here's the deal, I, I think you feel it too. Like, I think the zoicosis hits you as well. I think you have a sense of, I'm made for more than this. I'm made for more than being a cog in the machine, than working all the hours until I die and then we're done. And I, there's something else here. And so I want to talk about this, this stuff that's around us, that's, that's pushing on us, um, because I think it matters for, for, for all of us. Um, Look at verse 12, verse 2. This is what he says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
He calls us to not be conformed to the world. I love the way the old J.B. Phillips translation of this says. It says it this way. We'll put it on the screen. Do not let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. And so when I talk about cages and boundaries, I'm talking about the world around you squeezing you into its mold. This is what is surrounding us, and we need to identify it so that we can do something different. The world around you is going to try to put cages on you. It's going to say, it's, the world around us is going to try to determine your worth and say you're good for this. The world around you is going to try to decide your value. This is what matters. This is what doesn't matter. This is what you should stand up for and shout. This is what you should broadcast on social media. The world around you is going to try to tell you what your body is for. This is how your body is. This is what, it, what it's designed for. The world will give you a story around that. The world around you is going to decide for you what to think about and when to think about. It will try to dictate your mood. It will try to drown you in shame. It will try to uh, fill you with fear to change your behavior. It is going to try to put you in a cage. And we need to notice this as followers of Jesus. And even if we're not, we need to know this. Um, so let's talk. Let's talk about some of, the, some of the cages sort of generally today. And then we'll get into some very specific ones over the next four weeks. Um, I, I found this fairly useful chart. Uh, I'll put it up on the screen for a, a few weeks ago. Um, these are things we've become obsessed with and they eventually possess, meaning they, they, they sort of eventually own us. But these are some isms. These are, I would say these are cages that uh, our culture has us in. Individualism, pluralism, cynicism, nihilism, materialism, and hedonism. Uh, let's just talk about those so we understand because I think these are cages. Number one, individualism. Individualism is, is the idea, in a nutshell, everything is about me and for me. It is a very a me-centered thing, and you have seen that in advertising your entire life, whether you recognize it or not. Advertising is aimed at you, your way right away, right? That was, a, that was like a Burger King ad or whatever. Have it your way. It's mostly food that's telling us this. You can, you can have it exactly your way all the time. What's in your wallet? Sorry, Capital One guys but, and, and girls. Sorry, that's just that is what it is. It's all about you. And it's not just advertising that does this, right? It's movies and books and television, right? Go back to any Disney story of the last couple decades, and the story is you are the hero, the main character. You, this person's going to discover themselves and break free from all of the things that are put on them. It's like breaking out of the cage, and instead you get to be a, a radical individual. Look at, look at to the degree Instagram gives us all this stuff about self-care. Here's, here's steps for self-care. Here's, here's the ways that you can take care of, of you. Think about how the education system for early on, what are your grades so you can get into your college of choice, you know, your career path, those, all of that centered around you, right? I think, think to the degree that we carry around in our pockets or our purses a little black mirror called a smartphone that is highly highly customizable to your exact specifications and standards that can be filled with all the things that cater exactly to your wants and desires in the moment. Like all of the culture, at least in the West and in America, is designed to, you know, to, for you to be you and to you to express. And we think it's a win. We think, oh, I am free from the shackles of my parents and their religion and their worldview and their beliefs, and I don't have to live under the expectations of society and religion, all those things. We think we are free. We think we are so free in, in that. 
And the truth is we're just in another cage. It's called individualism. We're in this cage where now I have the anxiety that comes with I have to decide everything and assign meaning to everything, and I don't even know what to do. It's so crushing. So I think there's um, a real anxiety that comes with individualism. We may love that cage, but it's still a cage. The second one uh, is pluralism. Pluralism. Everything is true if I want it to be. Um, Our country has a lot of Christianity in its roots. Um, I'm not one of those people that gets like uh, sentimental of like, this was a, a Christian country. Look, 55 people who went to the Constitutional Convention and signed the Constitution and did all that, of the 55, 52 of them were Christians in some form, okay? So yes, it is baked in there. There's a lot of Christianity I guess that's what, like 93% or something, people who signed the founding documents were Christians in some way. Now, they intentionally did not say, this is the Lord Jesus Christ and this is a document, right? It's a little more vague. It talks about our our creator, that kind of thing. Um, But especially, and we know this in Virginia, religious freedom is a big deal. And so we have the opportunity to have a wide variety of beliefs in this country. We are not like other countries, perhaps, that are like, officially a Christian country, officially a Muslim country or whatever. We're, we're pretty open, pluralism. And, and what happens with that is we start saying every sort of worldview is good. You believe this, I believe that, let's not argue about it. I'm right, you're right, I'm, it's true, your, your thing's true. Like it's all good and this is the way we try to get along in a pluralist society. But it has some challenges with it. I can't say, hey, my Christianity is right and your I- Islam is wrong. I, you can't say, oh, my atheism is right and your theism is wrong because we're all just trying to get along here in a pluralist society. And we think that is liberating when in reality the true expression of our faith calls us in, in to say, hey, I believe Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I actually think the other ways are not ways to God. And, and that's a challenging statement that's very exclusive. Um, and, and so it doesn't fit in with pluralism very well. So pluralism, while uh, a seeming to be liberating, is actually just another cage for another group of people that we, that we find ourselves, that we, uh, that we often find ourselves in. We think America's a melting pot um, where all unique beliefs are supposed to melt into some sort of generic stew, um, but it, it ends up also just becoming a different kind of cage. Uh, another cage... We'll call this one cynicism. Uh, we are the belief that basically everything is hopeless. Uh, my parents are both from England. My dad's from London. My mom's from Southampton. Uh, they moved to the States and had my brother and I, and we grew up here, but we grew up with English parents. And uh, m- my experience of my parents, my family culture, and, and a lot of people that I have since come to know and love in England uh, and, and, and hear people that are English is um, this is not the most hopeful group of people in the world. This is not... This is not like the glass is half full kind of people. This is the glass half empty and the glass is dirty and who got that glass out and why do we, you know, it's like, it's a little more like that, right? And so this is what I grew up in. So if I'm going to say I'm cynical and lacking hope, I will at least say to you, I come by it very honestly, naturally. This is the family culture that I grew up in. Uh, for, and I don't know what it is over there. I don't know if it's because it's a small island where it rains, like the jaguar was saying in the video, they don't have space, they don't have, you know, a sunshine, I don't know, but it can be... Uh, a little bit cynical. And um, I, I, I feel that, and so it, it's sort of a natural go-to for me, but I, I don't think you have to have parents from England for that. I think this is actually a little more the mood of the day that we're all falling into. We're all getting a little bit cynical. Um, 
we, we, we see it in social media, you see it in books, you see it in movies, because uh, the cynicism will sell, the, the fear will sell. You see this in the last couple of years. We are um, so skeptical of everything, even the things religion or, or public health or education or things that we thought you could count on, we are skeptical of those to a pretty extreme degree now, and so we have this cynicism, and that leads to a, a great sense of despair. And so when, when someone goes in and, and takes a gun and starts shooting up places, um, I, I, I sort of go like, yeah, this is, this is what we are now. Like we're, we're cynical and we have a lot of despair. And we've torn down everything that had meaning. We've told people there's really nothing left to, to hope for. You just have to kind of create it yourself. And um, that's a different kind of cage. And I think it's a suffocating cage that people are, are struggling with. So the idea that everything is hopeless leads us to another cage. We'll call this one nihilism. Uh, nihilism is maybe the natural result of cynicism. Nihilism is, comes out of uh, sort of being able to see through everything. And I think this is also a function of the Internet, or at least the Internet has added gas to that fire over the last few decades. Um, the problem is if I make any claim about truth, um, if, I, if I make any claim about meaning you can quickly Google the counter-argument to whatever claim I make. So I can say, oh, this, this happened, like we were talking about last week. Jesus rose from the dead. Oh, let me Google that. Did he really rise from the dead? Let me ask Siri. I don't know. Is that reliable? Whatever. You can find in some corner of the Internet some counter-argument to anything you, you believe or want to believe or that someone else believes or what your uncle said to you or what someone's going to say to you at work. You can find the counter-argument. And we all know this. You carry around that technology in your pocket or your purse. You understand that... Uh, I can, I can find some other argument. And so what, what ends up happening is nothing feels meaningful. Everything feels a little bit empty. It's like, eh, who cares about that? That's probably not true. Or, you know, the cynicism leads to um, the, the, the nihilism. And, and uh, we, we end up stop believing that anything is true or that anything matters. And there's not a lot of hope in that. And there's not a lot of meaning. Um, you see it in popular culture. Um, I, I saw everything everywhere all at once. Uh, maybe you've seen it. It won like a boatload of Oscars last month. Um, I can't even recommend it. It's a, it's a really hard movie to get through, in my opinion. Um, you, you may feel differently. I've, I've heard very polarizing re- reactions to the movie where people are like, it was amazing. I'm like, uh, was it? Is that what you saw? Okay, you know, it's just, it's, it's, a, weird, it's a weird thing. Um, but there's one scene, if you, if you do happen to see it, there's one scene uh, where... where um, it's so hard to explain, but there's, there's two rocks on the edge of a cliff, and they're talking to one another. And, and that's not even in the top ten weirdest things in that movie, but it is just... So there's two rocks talking to each other, and if you understand what they're really saying, they're, they're sort of spouting this nihilist worldview. It, it is so it basically articulating how meaningless things are and that nothing really matters and how that's great. And I just thought, oh, this is the part of the movie that's trying to be profound, and it's so empty. It's so empty. And is, and is that actually where we are? It, it even, it reminds me a little bit, if I could go from that movie to Shakespeare, um, which is such a clean bridge, you know. So who doesn't go right there from watching that movie? Um, where Macbeth says this, life's but a walking shadow, a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. 
Man, what a review of life. What a, what a nihilist worldview. Yeah, sure, that movie, culture, music, whatever, it's full of sound and fury. It just signifies nothing. It's not actually pointing us to truth. It's pointing us to the whole, the abyss, the emptiness, the lack of hope. Um, and and, and we, get, we get caught up in it. And, and it's, uh, it's horrible when the nihilism creeps in and we feel like everything is meaningless. That is a horrible cage to be in. And so we try to combat that cage, right? We try to break out of that and not think about it. So we combat it with this cage, materialism. Materialism, everything I want should be mine. This is the culture that we live in, right? I, don't, I barely have to convince you of that, right? Like, this is, what we're, this is the air we breathe. Buy stuff. Everything is for sale. Now, we all know, and it sounds cliched, but the best things in life, you know, aren't things you're going to buy with money, but the, the, there, there are these other things, right? We all know that, like, intellectually, but mostly we think, I could just buy it. Like, if I could buy it, I'll be, if I get this thing, I'll be happy, uh, more stuff, and, and the, the, the nihilist hole inside us, we're going to try to stuff it with, like, food and experiences and iPods and these sorts of things, I, iPads, I mean, uh, iPods. What's an iPod? That's not even a thing. iPads. Um, who, who would think of such a thing? That's a crazy idea. iPod, what? Uh, iPhones, you know, we're going to stuff the hole with all of these things that we can acquire. Um, and, and in that, we're losing some of the best things. We're losing beauty. We're losing this sense of meaning and purpose because we're just buying, we're trying to buy our way out of that. I always think of, and I've probably told you this before, but I always think of um, the Little Mermaid who, I mean, because don't you? Because uh, the Little Mermaid who said, uh, you know, she sort of in a, in a betrayal of her worldview, you know, she says, uh, you want thingamabobs, I've got 20, but who cares? No big deal, I want more, right? And I, and I hear that, and I go, I don't know where under the sea she lives, but it's close to America. She is clearly <laughs> American adjacent, at least, if you've got 20 thingamabobs and you think you want more. Like, there's just something going on here that's in, in the air, right? The, in, in the culture, or under the sea. Like, there's something, um, this is, materialism is the thing for us. This is why we work long hours at jobs that we hate to make money to buy things that we don't really need to impress people that we don't really like. This is what, this is kind of the way it goes. Materialism is a cage. It is a classic rat race kind of cage. Um, and, and sometimes it makes us feel good, uh, but it, it's not what we were made for. We're made to break out of that as well. And that leads me to the last cage I want to talk about today, uh, hedonism. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure. Everything should feel good. The pursuit of pleasure at all costs. Um, and I, and, I, and I, I think you, you see that. You see the way we pursue the dopamine hits in the brain and the way um, that uh, social media and, and media and, and food and all sorts of things are designed to just give you that, that pleasure trip, right? And, and so it's designed to feel good. Um, and we pursue it, but we can never quite get there. I, I read an article years ago that referred to hedonism. It's, it referred to it as the, the hedonic treadmill so pursuing this pleasure is like getting on the treadmill, you know, like, yes, technically you're running, but you're not actually getting anywhere. 
you're just constantly in, move, in movement, constantly moving towards this thing, and you'll never actually get there, and you just keep having to grab the next hit of pleasure, the next thing, right? And so I, I think our culture is very much like this, and you know this. You know, you know that having a drink tastes good. Having the second drink, it, it never tastes as good as the first drink. It just doesn't. This is actually a brain thing. Um, it, there's is a diminishing return. This is why we always have to up the ante with more drugs and games and porn and all the things. We're always constantly upping the ante because we want it to feel good again. But reality is we're just on that treadmill, and you're never really going to get there. Um, the constant chasing, um, constant pursuit of pleasure can feel good in, in a sense because pleasure feels good. But the reality is some of the best things in your life are going to be the things that did not feel good at the time, things that are uncomfortable and hard. Because when you get through those, you build something in yourself, and, and that actually has a meaningful, um, it gives you something meaningful in your life. And so if we are constantly hedonists, if we are constantly pursuing pleasure, we will never go after the hard stuff, and we will never really grow or mature. Um, and so... Um, the cage that we end up being in uh, for, for hedonists is kind of a cage of mediocrity. We will constantly just sort of be floating along and pursuing pleasure and never getting to the really good stuff. So these are some of the cages that I think are just in the air in, in culture that surround us that we don't always notice. Um, so what do we do about that? Let me take you back to Romans 12 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed, bust out of the cages of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Maybe we could say it in just a couple ways. Number one is this, recognize the cages that you're in. Recognize the cages that you're in. The first step to freedom is to know that you've been caught. You're not going to try to break free if you don't know you're in the cage. You're going to be the lion in the cage going, yeah, this is fine. Like, no, no, this is not what you were made for. You're not supposed to just lay there and walk that same path. There's a whole, like, savanna out there you should be running in. You have to recognize the cages. I'm doing this because I get up here and talk about it, and I'm trying to raise a family, and I'm trying to think deeply and well about the culture that we live in, but we all need to do this recognize this stuff. Did, did the cages I just mentioned, does it resonate with you? Do you go, yeah, I mean, I see where that shows up. Because there's more, there's others. We'll talk about some in the next few weeks. You've got to see that it's there. You have to see that the bars are up, that the door is locked. And, and know, hey, um, culture is trying to squeeze me into a mold here. Culture is trying to tell me what to think. To be a good 21st century American, I should hold these political, moral, social, ethical views. Notice that it's happening. It is happening. This is, it's, it's, it's intentional, usually by someone who's trying to sell you something, right? But there's some intentionality there. Notice the cage. Um, it's, that's, that's crucial. Where are you seeing it? Um, number two, do not conform. Do not conform to the pattern of the world is what, what Paul says. Do not conform to the cage, right? You don't have to do what everybody does. I know... Look, if you're a younger person in the room, like I know, like in middle school, you wanted to do what everybody does, and that carries over into high school, and sometime in college, you start going, well, maybe not, and we think we're breaking free, and sometimes we just grab other cages, you know, but like, you don't have to follow the crowd. 
we don't have to be like everyone else. To, to be a follower of Jesus in particular, I would say you've got to walk a different path. You're going to eat differently. You are going to handle your body differently because you go, this is what God has given me and I should use it to honor him, so I need to eat differently. You might, you might pray differently or you might pray in ways that your neighbors don't. You might, you might fast, like voluntarily go without food to increase your devotion to the Lord. You might take a full day off of, of, of a Sabbath because you're trying to not get in the same you know, rat race that everyone else is around you. You might be at church on a Sunday when other people are sleeping in or going to brunch or whatever. Like You're going to do some different things so that you're not conforming to the pattern of the world. I'm not saying America has the worst pattern in the world. It doesn't. But it's still got one. Like, it's still a thing. It's, you know, it, it's still, it's sort of in Bible terms, I suppose. It's still Babylon. I mean, it's a nice Babylon. It's got air conditioning. Not today, but other days it has air conditioning. It's a great, you know. But um, it's still Babylon, and we're not supposed to be that. You're going to live amongst it, but we're supposed to be different. So do not conform to that. Um, and, and that is actually something that is within your power to do, to not, to not conform. Lions cannot leave the zoo, but you and I can. We can recognize the cages and do something different. This is one of the fundamental differences between humans and the rest of the creatures on earth, is we're not just driven by impulse and, 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 and instinct, right? We can reason and, and we, we can go higher with our thinking and, and with our hearts and our soul. There's something different uh, to us. Now, I know saying, Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of the world. Saying do not conform to us can sound like you're saying don't be sad, right, which doesn't really work. You're like, how would I not be sad? And he gives us the rest. He says, do not, be, do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So that's the last piece here is renew your mind. I love this verse. I teach a transformation class. I haven't taught it in a while. I'll probably do it again in September. Um, a transformation class where we go through eight weeks of like pulling this apart and going, how, how are we changed? How can we be changed? And I think Paul gives us a, at least part of a formula here. Renewal of the mind uh, is a thing that you can actually do. Um, all of us get in patterns of thinking and ruts, mental ruts that we get into, but there are ways to break out of those. Um, and Paul says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, he's connecting that to Christ, and I would, I would say the same. If you want to think differently and, and break out of these cages and think differently about the culture that we are in, you need to um, a, a adopt the way of thinking of Christ. Like, how does Christ see the world? And then start, think, start being so familiar with the way he sees the world that you start to think that way as well. Um, Jesus' teachings are so countercultural. His teachings on money and greed and sex and heaven and hell and pain and suffering and um, food and all of these things, anger, all these things. His teachings on all these things are countercultural, not just to America in 2023, but they are countercultural to every culture and every time in history that's ever lived. They're just going to be countercultural in different ways. But they, they speak against, in some, in some ways along with, but sometimes against what culture says. And this helps us to break free from the world that we are, are living in. Now, the, guys, this is hard, okay? I get it. Um, in some ways, I feel like a fish talking to other fish about life in the pond. Like, hey, guys, there's water. Have you noticed? And we're like, water? No, like, you know, like, yeah, no, there's water. It's everywhere. We've got it. We're, we're, it's literally breathing it in. This is what we're doing, you know? Like, I, I, I get it. 
it can be hard to, um, to break free. Um, and, and if you read Jesus' teachings in the Gospels, that'll be jarring to you. But if you read them and you start from the place of Jesus knows who God is and what the world's about. We talked about that last week. He resurrected, which means you should probably listen to what he said when he comes back from the dead. Um, read, read Jesus' teachings and go, these are not, it, it's helpful if you go, these are instructions for obedience rather than suggestions for my consideration. And if you read it like instructions for obedience, it changes how you read it and it changes how you might respond to it. I believe the teachings of Jesus can liberate you. In fact, that's what it says. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You can come out of the cages when uh, you conform your life to Christ, actually, and not to the world around you. So here's a, here's a suggestion. Try reading Jesus' teachings this week. I'll make it easy. Pick the book of Luke and read four chapters a day. Find time. Morning, afternoon, whatever. In, in a week, you'll have read the book, and you're going to be exposed to a lot of the teachings of Jesus. Just start there and look at it when you read it. What are the cages he's addressing? What, what, are, what, are, things, what are things that have me trapped in a way of thinking that he thinks differently about that? Um, my prayer is that we would, uh, this week, that we would notice the cages um, because the anxiety, the zoicosis that, that is out there, it's real, and I think we all feel it. Notice the cages we're in um, and and be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Read Christ's words and let them change us and liberate us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I, I thank you for the mind that you have given all of us to think through, to think critically about the world that we live in and to take the good and, and throw out the bad. And so, um, God, there are, there are great things about living in the place and time that we're in right now. Um, there are great things about this country and about 2023. Um, but it's not all great, and it doesn't all drive us towards you. And so God helps to be wise and honest and think critically and be, be, be just smart about what we allow into our brains, what, uh, what we are allowing to drive our thinking. God, may we connect to you. May we uh, take the challenge to just read through the, your son's teachings um, so that we can know and understand you better. Uh, thank you, Lord, uh, for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.